No, I think we're way too DIY. We're like, you know, under the radar. We're indie. Yeah. We don't we don't need budgets. Yeah, we're indie. Yeah, we're indie. (laughs) We don't need budgets or listeners or people that give a shit. (laughs) Well, people give a shit. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Rated NA, the podcast for the website nerdappropriate.com. This is episode number 189, and I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Scott. And I'm Ash. <laughs> what, I, what I really wanted to say was... Shot there. <laughs> I, I was going to say something like, I'm just here so I won't get fined, but I didn't know if that would be topical. Oh, so brilliant. Yeah. We were explaining to um, a friend of ours at work who doesn't watch football, like no how, what you guys are talking about. how Seattle... We'll, we'll explain in a second. How Seattle yeah. is essentially just trolling the NFL at the moment, like... As a team, they just they basically do whatever they want. It seems like yeah. So do you want to explain to Ash what what I'm just here so I don't get Can fined? I get, is? Like the the short version. Yeah. So there's a you know the probably one of the best running backs in the league, Marshawn Lynch, is uh, he doesn't care about speaking to the media, especially like on you know when they when there's just a bunch of microphones in his face. Yes. So he'll show up at these things and he'll spend the minimum required time that he needs to Which be is there. Like four minutes and yeah. forty seconds or something. And every question. He'll just say the same sentence over and over again. So every, yeah. and every press conference is different. So he went to one where he all he said was, "I'm just here so I won't get fined." And he said <laughs> that because he skipped one of the the meeting the media outs outlets and uh, it, he got what a five hundred thousand dollar fine for skipping it. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, half a mil. Wow for for four minutes of not talking to the press. That's unbelievable. So like as soon as the four minute timer went off, he's just like, "All right, I'm done. See you guys later." Didn't he do shout-outs one time where they were like, you know, Marshawn, what do you think you're going to do this game? And he's like, shout-out to Burger King. Yeah, I think he did. <laughs> and then if you think, like, you know, because honestly, it's stupid, right? What are they trying oh, to do? They're trying to yeah. throw questions at him to get sound bites so that they can write articles and stuff like that. And yeah. they'll ask questions like, who do you think the best running back in the league is? And what are you supposed to – like, how do you answer a fucking question yeah. like that, right? I have no idea. Yeah, but I mean, like, what is he supposed to go? Like, oh, it's me, you know. And then yeah, they write an yeah. article. Marshawn Lynch says he's the best running back in the league, right? But then he was on Conan O'Brien for um, for oh, Clueless the, Gamer. Clueless Gamer, it was so good, man. And he that played so um, he played Mortal Kombat X with Rob Gronkowski, who is from the Patriots, and he was hilarious. I saw that. that was really funny. Yeah, it was exactly. really funny. So there you go. But, I mean, like, I just I think that's part of the reason Seattle's one of my favorite teams. Like, I love Seattle, the city. Mm-hmm. And uh, their team has grown on me in the past two years, not because they're winning, because I'm a Bucks fan. So clearly, I don't like. <laughs> I know, winners. right? But Ash, did you did you catch the halftime show by any chance? Your girl, uh, your girl performed. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Oh yeah, see... it was the Super Bowl. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Did yeah, you catch yeah. uh, Left Shark? I caught it. I caught it after after the, the bowl shark. was over. Yeah. What did you yeah, think of the Sharks, man? I I don't understand why <laughs> people what did you, shit. <laughs> what did you think about her flying away on the More You Know Star? <laughs> I, I thought that was pretty awesome, actually, and I yeah. thought. Missy Misdemeanor was awesome. Oh, that was uh, fantastic. I think it was a a nice little show. Yeah, I read a funny article. Missy Misdemeanor got three more minutes and they didn't have Lenny Kravitz just walk out on stage to fake play guitar and then leave. Yeah, yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah. I I saw one. Kind of like fearful of disaster at those things. So I think a lot of it is, you know, bullshit. Didn't the Chili Peppers basically go on record saying that, like, hey, like, we got asked to play the Super Bowl, but they didn't let us actually play? 
Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, they they said we're like, look, the way this thing's orchestrated, like we're literally not allowed to plug in. We can't do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what you know, God forbid you drop your microphone while you're flying across the stage, so you need your Wii remote strap to hold your microphone <laughs> in place. <laughs> she did legitimately have that too. It was a pretty. I actually thought it was a decent halftime show, but it was. Uh, it was. I think if Missy hadn't come out, it wouldn't have been as decent as it was. Yeah. She definitely added some, like, flair to it because it's, like, songs that are still... They still sound like they're from the future and they were made, like, 15 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. But, I mean, definitely lots of crazy, like, Candyland, eye candy yeah, stuff. It's that wild. was odd. The the robotic tiger that she... Or lion or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, Voltron. Yeah. This show is brought to you by Loot Crate. And uh, if you subscribe to Loot Crate, you get a crate full of awesome stuff. We just got the, the message in what next month's Loot Crate is all about, and it's all about play, which is uh, tabletop, board games, card games, RPGs, toys, so on and so forth. Um, this this time, we get a special exclusive item from Kid Robot. That's awesome. So what you, yeah, it is pretty awesome. So if you uh, go to LootCrate.com forward slash rated NA and use the code rated NA, you get 10% off and you help out our show, and we really appreciate it. And last month's Loot Crate, I think, was the best one ever. Did you get yours, Matt? I did. What did we get? So we got some some sweet shades, which I've actually been using them driving to work. <laughs> sweet shades. We got uh, we got a Voltron t-shirt, an exclusive oh, so Voltron good. t-shirt. Oh, man, I need to stop by your house. Yeah, yeah you, you do. do. Yeah. We got a, we got a uh, variant cover Star Wars number one issue. Yes, with Han and Chewie on it. With Han and Super Chewie, good. yeah. Uh, what, what else we got? We got oh, oh we got the yeah, space invaders tie. Yeah, space invaders silk necktie, which is yeah. Scott, you need to swing by Ash's house. We got he's got a box waiting yeah. for you. I have crates. I need to dig crates. into your loot box. You do, you do, and that's my butthole. <laughs> we get the little uh, the little <laughs> Nintendo cartridge guy too. Was that? Oh yeah, book? yeah, that's super cool. So they're like these action figures that um kind of resemble old Nintendo cartridges. Which which um cartridge did you get, Max? I, I know there was like Fire Hunt. I don't know which one I got. I got the one like from take on um, Duck Hunt, I think. Unless Fire Hunt's an actual game. Hmm. I know there's a Zelda one. I didn't get that one, but they're super cool too. But anyway, yeah. um, Loot Crate's awesome. The new crate's coming out, obviously. New crates every single month. And once again, this month's crate is play, tabletop, board games, card games, RPGs, so on and so forth. If you go to lootcrate.com forward slash rated NA and use code rated NA, you will get 10% off and you will help our show grow and throb. <laughs> wow. Not thrive. It, uh, Sometimes it throbs. Let's do the rundown. Um, of course, we'll talk about what we've been up to, and um, we'll talk about Life is Strange, which I think we all played, Darkest Dungeon, Dying Light, um, let's see, Helix, Club Nintendo, uh, DC Universe, Grimm, comic Lady Killer, which is really good, and an audiobook called Love in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction. And in our Naquata this week, we ask Roop. <laughs> I can't even Roop. Roop. We ask Reboot Fever is sweeping the comics and film industry. Which property would you love to see rebooted? And are reboots ever worth it? Now, without the addendum to this question, have we asked the reboot question before? Uh, probably. I think we've, we have. <laughs> we've, we've asked, asked all one, questions. Right? We've asked all uh, questions. Uh, and I mean, I think it's relevant anyways, especially yeah. even in the game world, because this year, we've seen tons of remakes come out for current-gen systems from the previous gen. True. Yeah. You heard the biggest ones in the movie world, right? What's Poltergeist. that? Poltergeist. Oh, Poltergeist, wow. Poltergeist, yeah. 
yep. Poltergeist, and then of course we'll be talking about DC Comics rebooting for like you know the second time in like what three years. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Crazy. Good times. So uh, Matt, why don't you kick us off? What, what is going on? We missed a week. We did miss a week. Uh, I was sick from not Pax Box, but from uh, from uh, Work Pox. Oh boy, Work Pox. Yeah, our friend Ryan started uh, a cold that literally wiped out the entire office at one point. Oh so, boy! Uh, I got it, and all of my coworkers got it at some point, and Melissa has it now. Like it just this thing spread like crazy. So, and I'm usually nice. pretty, I'm usually pretty sickness resistant. I'm usually pretty good with that, but oh well. Uh, but yeah, so we haven't talked. I didn't. I missed the PAX wrap up episode because of that, and then we took a week to to. Recapture our souls, I think. You know, yeah, something like that. Find out yeah. where we want to be in the universe. Um, played some Life is Strange, or played the first chapter, so we'll talk about that later. Uh, played a new game called Sin that's coming out on the iPad that we had a review code for, and uh, I'm going to actually review it next week because I want to give it a little more time in my old, my little handsies. Um, I watched two movies. Uh, I watched Chef and I watched Frank. Do you guys know these movies? I, I've heard of Frank. I've heard of Chef and Frank. Ooh. So Chef is the John Favreau cooking movie where he's a chef. And uh, he's like working at a four-star restaurant, you know, and he's like one of the best ever. But then he kind of loses his passion. And then he has like a freak out. And then he goes and gets a food truck and starts a food truck. And that's like he fi- he refines his soul kind of in cooking. Mm. And uh, I heard it's great. His son. It is phenomenal. It is very good. Like, it's so good in, like, just a good movie way. Like, it's not, uh, mm. there's no, like, real drama or anything. It's, it's, I mean, there is, but not, like, you know, like, he does this whole road trip from Florida to back to California with his son and his, like, sous chef. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like I feel like in a trite or like preconceived kind of movie, something bad would happen that they would have to overcome, and instead, it's just a really great story about like them traveling back through the country and him like uh, you know sort of like growing his relationship with his son. It just was a really awesome movie like I cool. highly recommend it, even like remove the cooking from it. It could literally be about anything, and it would just be a great story of a guy like finding his kind of like second life, I guess is the way to put it. Cause he's like in his later forties, you know, and mm-hmm. like that kind of thing. Like it's really just, it's really kind of awesome and sort of inspiring. And like, I'd really recommend anyone to watch it just based on the fact that it's a really great positive movie. Awesome. Um, and then Frank. So Frank's the one with Michael Fassbender and, yeah. uh, yeah. And, uh, uh, Jill and Hall, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's about like a band, sort of. Um, and Michael Fassbender's wearing this like big head the whole movie. Oh, I thought this was the movie about the old man and the robot. That's Frank and the robot. Oh, or sorry. That's, robot. Is that or isn't that Lars and the Real Girl? No, that's that's a different movie <laughs> oh, entirely. Okay, that's okay a, that's whatever. About, um, what's his name? Wink, hot guy, uh, in a sex doll. <laughs> Uh, anyways, so Frank is the one, it's about a band with Michael Fassbender, and he's wearing a, uh, uh, this, like, big head, like, papier-mâché head thing. You you have to have seen the posters for it, or at least on Netflix, Mm -hmm. yeah. 
Um, it's very weird. Uh, it was a weird thing to watch directly after Chef because Chef was this like great sort of uplifting movie, and then Frank is this like kind of dark, weird movie about a band writing an album that this guy like randomly joins when their keyboardist tries to kill him in a river. And, he's got uh, this head on the whole time, right? He does, and that's like part of the movie is about like what the hell is going on with Frank? Is he crazy? He's Frank. Uh, is like, is he crazy? Is this is he like a genius? Um, and that kind of gets told through the movie. Uh, it has a very weird ending. Um, not a weird ending. It has a very weird turn. I guess is what I would say. It, it just was a very weird movie. If you're up for like a weird sort of indie movie about a band, it's it's not bad. It's pretty good. Yep. But it, it was a definitely it had a weird tone all the way. Maggie through. Gyllenhaal's in it, so yeah, I'm you on board. See some like. You see some some Maggie Boob, I think, too. At some oh point, boy! If you're I mean, that that's kind of I guess that's par for the course. But you see some Fastbender. Like you see some some Fastbender in the shower. But oh, he's got okay. That Frank, but he's got that Frank head on, so you got to be into that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, it, it was a weird movie, but like like I said, if you if you like indie movie, it's a very like kind of indie movie. I guess is the best way to put it. I don't know how else to like really describe it. Okay, but the story is—it's written really well. It's acted very well, and the actual main character is the redheaded uh, British guy that's in it, and he's from Harry Potter. He's one of the older Weasley brothers, I believe. Interesting. Um, and he—he—he's uh, great. He's like phenomenal in it. Everybody else is a little weird because their characters are weird, but he's really, really great, and uh, has a kind of a great story. Um, and then I watched for unknown reasons last night. I—I I was working on our on our little website. And uh, Melissa was sick and had like taken Nyquil. Was passing out on the couch at like seven p.m. and and I was like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna put something on that I can just kind of watch. And did you guys remember? Did you ever watch that Helix show? No, on Sci-Fi. I never watched it. It was always it's, on my list, but I never watched it. I actually DVR'd it and never watched it. Like that's <laughs> like it just it was in Florida, I think, and I DVR'd it and just never watched. But uh. I, it's on Netflix, and I started it and uh, ended up finishing the season, which is 13 episodes last night. Uh, it's pretty good. Does that sound yeah. like a good review? <laughs> I heard it yeah. starts It starts slowly. It's about like a virus of some sort, right? Like a super deadly megavirus yes. or something? It's I heard it starts like, slowly and, and gets a lot better. It's kind of like the thing. Like They're on this remote science base in the Arctic Circle, and... Uh, this virus breaks out and then the CDC comes in to clean it up essentially. And uh, the CDC is like the main group of characters that you've seen probably in the previews. Uh, it's like three doctors or five doctors or something like that. It's not five for long. Let me, tell you. uh, <laughs> and then, uh, they like this story kind of unravels of what's actually happening at this, uh, science, you know, outpost and, started off i would actually say pretty strong i don't think it started slow it started off really strong about halfway through it starts to get really uh hokey's probably too strong but it goes a little off the rails like things start happening that you're like every once in a while somebody will do something and you're just kind of like what am i like it gets very sci-fi i guess is the way to put it like sci oh, yeah. like siffy not not sci-fi but syfy which is a little worrisome with the expanse coming so soon but not at the same time because it was there were a lot of signs of something being a little bit better. Um, it's produced and I think co-written by the guy who did Battlestar, uh, Robert. Oh, nice. 
Robert, whatever his last name is. It's a good Ronald Moore, right? Ronald Moore, that's his name, yeah. And uh, so you can see some of that, like, kind of tension and sort of, like, about other things. Like, it's about real-life stuff, kind of, in in the same scenario of this being about a viral outbreak. It seems like they stretched eight episodes into 13. Like, if they had done... If it had been eight episodes, even if it had ended, honestly, where the eighth one ended, (laughs) you would have been like, oh, okay. Like, that was a really solid kind of, like, suspenseful show. And the the effects are pretty okay. Like, some of the effects are brilliant. Hmm. And then some of the effects are very sci-fi. Like, it's like... Like the like they do effects for like the mice and stuff they kind of have to, and those look kind of cheesy. But then like they'll do these effects with the virus and that looks amazing. And and then all the practical stuff of like the people is incredible. That all looks really great. Like all the it's like all this like black tarry ooze that they that's like represents the virus kind of. And that looks that looks amazing. The writing's really good. The acting is like some of it's great and some of it's like okay. Jerry. Um, Ryan, right? Is that from Star Trek? Is that yeah. her name? She shows up halfway through the show. She's brilliant in it. Sci-fi's starting to get it again. Like, this is a better sci-fi show than it is... Like, it would be, like, a, a mid-rate, like, AMC or HBO show. Sure. But it'd be... But it's a good sci-fi show, you know? like Or, like, a good USA show. Like It's, it's just, just nice a, to see actual shows on sci-fi as it is. About and sci-fi. If, yeah, and if those shows can be good, well that's that's all the better. So so but I would recommend it. I think it's worth watching. Like if you if you're, you know, especially if you've already cut the cord and you're just looking for things to watch or if you're just bored because we're, you know, we're still sort of a little bit before the second half of the, you know, TV season. Mm-hmm. It's it's worth watching and I watched it all in a night, which I wouldn't recommend, but you <laughs> you it's not hard to watch is what I'm saying. It's not okay. like just it, it showed me promise that okay, maybe they're starting to put together what they need to do to make a show great mm-hmm. and like the fact that they're dumping a bunch of money in the expanse and like i start oh i think I, this was this week too wow I, I started vikings too did i tell you that ash i think you you uh you may have tweeted it out or something but i, I did read that you watched it so yeah i started vikings uh that show is gorgeous that is, it is probably really one of pretty the isn't it best looking shows i mean possibly better than game of thrones which is gorgeous like vikings is crazy good looking so yeah, they shoot it all out in scandinavia like they actually take everybody yeah. out there for like six months and shoot it's crazy so yeah, you get to it's, see it's know. gorgeous like it's awesome like some of the, i think some of the set pieces are a little smaller than game of thrones but i looked at the budget it's still a gigantic budget for a for a history show mm-hmm. it was like 20 million or something insane like that that's crazy um but but it makes me feel like if sci-fi sees Vikings and sees Walking Dead and goes, oh, we just need to put some money into a show and make sure the writing's solid, you know, like, then maybe The Expanse, the expanse can be good, you know, like, that's what it's making, that's what Helix makes me feel like. Like, they went, well, what if we try, like, a little set-piece show with a smaller budget and see how that goes, and then we can kind of expand from there, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so Helix was good. I don't know, that was, like, my little mini-review, but... That was a long, what have I been up to? But I feel like it's been two and a half weeks since we've really talked. So maybe three because of PAX, right? It's been a it's little been while. A, it's been a while. Uh, Ash, what have you been up to? Uh, well, other than PAX, I, I amazingly didn't get sick. Um, and if you listen to last week's episode, I should have because I flew and then went to work and then didn't oh, yeah. sleep. And uh, that was weird. But for some reason, the luck was on my side. And it, I really started um, sort of, at PAX, I, I do this thing where I really just don't touch anything and I don't touch my face ever. I think that's the biggest thing. Like, don't rub your eyes. 
Yeah, yeah hand sanitizer is important yeah, too. Yeah, so um, I, I was able to stay clean this time, which was nice. Uh, work's been going okay. It's been it's been super super busy. About to get much busier, and uh, listeners will soon know what the heck is going on. But I've been listening to some new podcasts on the way to work because my drive has uh, increased quite a bit. Wait a second, you just don't you don't put our podcast on repeat and listen to it over and over well, again? Well, sometimes I do. I got to get those what those, I do. List, those listens up. You know, we have to go from you know six billion listens to six billion and twelve listens. Yeah, that's really important too. I think. Yeah. So. Um, I've been listening to some new shows. I actually, um, one was actually featured in Entertainment Weekly. Um, they did this run-up of uh, one of their writers there went ahead and picked out like 10 podcasts that you should listen to. It somehow um, missed us. I, don't I know. know they missed us. Ours was not on the list, and it's, it's kind of disappointing. Weird. You know? Maybe honorable mention, perhaps? No, uh, I think we're way too DIY. We're like, you know, under the radar. We're indie. Yeah. We don't, we don't, yeah. We don't need budgets. <laughs> yeah, we're or, indie. Yeah, or indie. We don't need budgets or listeners or people that give a shit. <laughs> well, people give a shit. Hold on, uh, hold on. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's true. But um, the first one that was featured in Entertainment Weekly was um, Rachel and Miles Explain the X-Men. And this podcast is fucking awesome. All it is is two huge comic book fans, Rachel and Miles, going through the history of the X-Men from the beginning what? to the end. I didn't end. read this one. Dude, it's that. so list. it's so good. And it, they break it down. They don't do literally issue by issue, but they do sort of arc by arc. So the first arc they talk about is the introduction to the X-Men. They get into everyone's powers. Um, uh, Rachel thinks Professor Xavier is a huge dick, and she goes into great detail. But they research the living hell out of everything. They're like, they have like an encyclopedic knowledge of X-Men history, and it is really, really cool to listen to as an X-Men fan. Uh, really funny, really, really smart. If you're curious about the X-Men at all, then check it out. Um, I think even in – I'm only on like um, episode four now, but in episode three or four, they go ahead and talk about the animated series at length, which is awesome. Um, so they talk about all the, the crazy shit that was going on with the animated series and how they took the Claremont-era arc and applied the 1990s X-Men to the Claremont-era arc. So you get to see this like weird, you know, strange timeline that didn't really exist in the comics, exist in the cartoon. But anyway – um, that's really, really fun. And I started listening to another one as well. Um, and this one is, um, I'm warning you, it's only for the extremely hardcore, but it is a podcast called Dusted, which is a episode by episode, one hour breakdown of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> God. Every so they single... spend the length of the episode explaining yes. the le- the episode? Yes. Yes. Cool. It it is pretty intense. It's actually really funny. They get into a lot of behind-the-scenes stories and things like that and, and do a lot of analysis of, um, of the writing and of the characters. Uh, but again, you know, you got to be a pretty big fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but that one's called Dusted. Um, that one's actually pretty far. I think that's on episode like 20-ish, and Rachel and Miles is around episode 50 already. So, But listen to those. Those have been fun and different. Um, I, too, played Life is Strange. Really enjoyed it. That's a spoiler, but I, I enjoyed the heck out of it. And um, Darkest Dungeon came out this week as well, so I've been playing that a little bit. In the is this the, the full release, or is it like a no, early the full, access? Or? The full release is, is out now. Oh, so, sweet. That's yeah. great. So you can just go ahead and plop down your, your cash and, and get the game. So cool. Available on Steam, and I'll talk about that in reviews, and that's really fucking good too. Uh, what about you, Scott? So I've been playing um, Dying Light. I'm really excited. I uh, got into sort of the review for that. So I've been playing it sort of at the pace of, um, you know, like a normal human being. So 
I'm probably just a few hours into the, the, the early part of the story, but I'm actually really enjoying it. And I, I've read some reviews about this game that I find to be very perplexing. So I'd kind of want to talk about that uh, during the review. Um, I also played Life is Strange and I really liked it. And I, I liked it more than I thought that I would. I mean, I knew that I was going to like it just because of what it is. Um, but what I ended up experiencing was like even better than my expectation, which I'm really happy with. Um, I think I forgot to mention that uh, in the last podcast that over the time that we were at PAX, I played Gravity Ghost, which Ash recommended on the podcast prior to that. And um, it's really fun for all the reasons that you said two podcasts ago. You know, it's super chill. Like there's good artwork. The music is obviously great. Um, so I think yeah, it's a fun game. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's widely available now. You can get it on steam. Um, I would say that it's sort of in the, I don't know, maybe like casual puzzler kind of space, but it's got really cool art and really good music. Just kind of like a quirky, quirky huh. game that I think is, uh, you know, quality. And, um, I want to talk about amiibos for a second. <laughs> <laughs> And don't so, go swimming in don't go swimming scott yeah yeah you don't want to, you don't want to catch the amiibos right and then you'll be <laughs> you'll be puking for days so okay right so nintendo decides this you know last year that they're going to start making toys in the vein of skylanders and um disney infinity right so hooray that's fun you can use your amiibos with um some of their uh, main titles like super smash brothers or hyrule warriors or uh, like Mario Kart. Cool, right? The problem right. is that they just don't fucking make enough of them. And so um, I, I don't really understand what they're doing because... Oh, I have to ask, Are you buying these? Yeah, Do just... You, well... Oh, you are. I'm only... So I'm not, like, collecting <laughs> them. I'm not buying... You know, I'm not trying to complete a set or anything he like that. He only has 300, Ash. He's not <laughs> yeah. going crazy, all right? Like, I honestly just want the ones that I want. So I'm not kind of like obsessing over like, Oh, what is the rarity of this one or that one? Like I'm trying to be like an average consumer and I'm looking at these things and I'm like, Oh, it'd be cool. Like I like that one. There's, you know, like a link and a Zelda and stuff like that. And you just cannot fucking get these things anywhere. And it's turning into this whole thing of, you know, secondhand sells like resellers Uh, and babies. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like eBay and all this stuff. And you know, for all intents and purposes, there is no reason why they cannot be making more unless they think in their minds, like we're going to make X amount and we're just going to let the demand, you know, the high demand for this item scoop up all of the stuff that we made. And we're satisfied with that quantity of sales, right? Because at this point, these things come out, they're available for like 10 minutes and then they're gone and you can never get them again. So from a gaming perspective, I don't understand what their strategy is. You know, they're they're publicizing, oh, buy Amiibos and then connect them to your um, Super Smash Brothers and you can level up this like custom character. But nobody can do that because you cannot get these things right. anywhere. Because they're yeah. creating like a secondary market, essentially. Yeah. And what yeah. is really frustrating about this is that they have a public Twitter account for Nintendo of America and they're just blasting out like pr style news as if you can just go walk into target and buy anyone that you want right now you know Uh and it's just it's such the it's like it's so frustrating and if you go look at the replies to those tweets where they're like cool check out our amiibos everybody's like we can't fucking buy them like you need to figure this out and the other problem is that they don't communicate well with their um, retailers so my story that i want to tell 
is about getting um, Rosalina, who is a character from um, Super Mario Galaxy. She's kind of like the space princess. So like, I thought that was cool. I wanted to get it. Turns out that item is Target exclusive. So I actually figured out what day the item was actually going to be released. So I went down to Target and lo and behold, there's a line of like, I don't know, 30 people standing outside of the Target before it opens on this day. What? Yes. Wow. Yes. So you can see we're already having a problem now because nobody even knows what the rarity of these items are anymore. So everyone just every time there's one that's released, people just show up. And um, so I didn't on this, think these things were that popular. This is yeah, crazy. This is yeah, it's completely bonkers, like out of control, right? I actually somebody had these at PAX and they were selling them for like the rare ones were selling for like sixty dollars a pop, you know? Uh, and wow. they retail and how for they, how much? Yeah, what are the retail? thirteen dollars? They retail for thirteen dollars. That's crazy. Yeah. So, anyways, go down to Target and I get in this line, right? Target has no management for the line. They have right. no um, nothing. To be fair, do you think they're even expecting this? <laughs> no, but I mean, at this point, like th- that's why I'm saying Nintendo is not even you communicating. Amiibos. Yeah, <laughs> to Nintendo's not even communicating with the retailers, right? About what to poor do. Target like, employees that are like, "What the hell is happening?" Yes, and they didn't even like they didn't put the display in the front of the store. They didn't regulate the line. <laughs> Basically, the doors open and people just ran, you know, because electronics sections and Target were like, are in the they were back. Like, Man, people really want their Massimo T-shirts right now. Yeah, I know, right. <laughs> So everybody like essentially just runs into the back of the store and people are like scooping them up as many that will fit in their arms. Right. And here's the really sad thing, Nintendo, if you're listening, there are people like me in line. There are also kids that are like 10 years old in line too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So they're there with their parents. Their parents have no idea what's going on. And then all these people run by them and then the kid walks back there and they're not fucking there anymore. So, uh, you know, if you guys want to be fucking jerks, that's awesome. But you know, don't make such a big deal about using these with your games if nobody can get them. It's really shitty. So what are they just giving each store like 50 and then moving on with life? So with this particular um, Target exclusive Amiibo, I think they probably had, I would guess that they had less than 30 in stock. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, and then they were gone. And, you know, that being said, there was a guy standing with me in the line who clearly had no intention of like abiding by like social norms of like, hey, we're going to stand in the line and we're going to walk you know, and work together and we're only going to buy two a piece because this fucking guy, like as soon as the door opened, he just ran past everybody and like ran into the back of the store and was gone like in a heartbeat. Right. Wow. Yeah. So it's like this big fucking mess. And, um, I don't know. It's just frustrating. And I, I feel like, did, did you not get one? I got, I got one. Oh, yeah. you did. <laughs> Actually, you know, did you have I, to shank a kid to get it. Yeah, no, the thing was is that I, um, <laughs> I went back there. I walked, I walked, right. I walked to the back of the store and by the time I got there, they were gone. So, like, on this particular day, they had um, Bowser and um, Rosalina. So they released those two on that day. The Bowsers were, like, completely gone. I think there was a third figure, too, also gone. And I just kind of, like, stood in the store for a second, just looking around. And then a guy came out of the back with, like, a shopping cart, ah. you know, more of them. And, uh, you know, and then I was able to get one. And then some, like, other kid is, like, scooping them up. And he's like, I just need to buy all of these so I can trade for the ones that I don't have. And people are looking at him like, you should only be buying, like, two at the most, seriously. <laughs> and he's like, but I don't have the other ones either. It's like, <laughs> it's a fucking mess. And I blame Nintendo. I blame Nintendo 100%. You know, it's just, like, every little thing. They're trying to be bigger, trying to be better than what they were for the past two years. And I feel like they're finding ways to shoot themselves in the foot, which is really frustrating. As somebody like me who has been a longtime fan, and for the most part, who has supported them throughout, right? Right. 
So it's really unfortunate. Okay, so that was a <laughs> impromptu grind my gears. Why don't we move on to some news? Yay! <laughs> news. So DC is uh, rebooting its universe once again oh from scratch. Um, they're going to do a bunch of new, uh, starting their titles over from number one again. They're having Jim Lee designing, uh, he's going to be designing all of the new character costumes and trying to um, make them more accessible to uh, a younger audience is what uh, what I've been reading. Also that a lot of the characters are going to shift in age to be a little bit younger and more hip. So um, oh, yeah, this boy. is the second time DC's rebooted, I think in what, the past three or four years? Because I remember we talked about the new Fifty Two on this show. I reviewed it. Yeah, I did it. Yeah. Like, did so that thing. was maybe just two years ago, right? Did they no, say like was, why? I was, I was in Florida, so it had to be at least three to four years. Okay. Like, but, what was yeah. the problem with this original, this prior reboot? Well, I mean, the thing that's really, I think the 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 old reboot, the new Fifty Two reboot, I think had a lot of promise, but I think the problem was it still didn't sell a ton of books. So the whole idea behind these reboots is. Really, when you get down to it, it's to align their cinematic universes with their books and to make sure that they're accessible both ways. So people that want to watch the new upcoming DC movies aren't going to feel confused by the comics. And they kind of, um, you know, cross influence one another, right? Well, the problem with the New 52 is that they didn't really, didn't line up at all with what they had planned for the upcoming movies. And so I think the idea is to reboot everything, um have Jim Lee kind of be the the guiding force behind this new DC reboot and then start everything over again and see how that sells. But, uh, you know, it's just weird to me Mm -hmm. that it's, I mean, I I know, you know, isn't Marvel getting ready to do this very soon too? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, that's kind of why our Naquato is what it is because I just kind of find it fascinating that people can, or publishers can just kind of throw out all of that canon and, and just kind of just reset everything and make longtime fans and longtime readers kind of throw out everything that they know. You, um, uh, you, you linked a Collider article, which, which makes an, an interesting point of this is their attempt to make a fresh start on digital, too, because they are actually behind in the old, the old digital realm of yeah. Marvel. Yeah. So, do, I mean, do you guys are you guys going to pick any of these up? Do you care at all? Like, what do you find this interesting? Um, the whole thing is like, as a non comic book fan, but someone who is casually interested, it's still just too confusing to me. Oh, it's very confusing. Absolutely. Like, I, you know, I I would have picked up some of the new fifty two books. But I kind of wanted to see where they were going to go for a little while first, and then what I normally do is. I wait for books to run for a little while, then I'll read like 40 in a row, you know, now that we can do that digitally. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I'm never going to read any of these New 52 books now, especially if it's a, now like a, a strange little four-year splinter timeline. Like <laughs> it's really those obsolete. Are, yeah, those books It's really too like bad because to it's too bad because some of their B and C level characters had great books in the New 52. The, the Swamp Thing and uh, Animal Man books were like fantastic. Like they were very, very yeah, good. I remember you talking about them at yeah, start. Too. And um, I think their biggest problem isn't, but that's not their problem. The problem isn't content creation. Their problem is making Superman a thing again, you know, and making 
uh, Batman interesting to kids and making Green Lantern somebody that anyone will read. You know, like, and that, that they have this this issue, which is weird because their characters aren't bad. They're they're like historically the biggest characters. You know, Superman is feasibly the biggest comic book character of all time, and probably will be forever. Right? Yeah. So it's like. They they just sit. It's the same thing they deal with in the movie world, right? Where they, they just cannot put their shit together about how to how to make this thing that Marvel has shown is a clear money maker. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I don't know. This is it's it's weird to me that they're rebooting so quickly. But to be honest, I fell out of the new fifty. I fell out of reading comics in general a little bit, but I fell out of the new fifty two a little while ago. So. What I what's confusing about this that wasn't about the New Fifty Two is that they they made a bold, clear, and concise decision with the New Fifty Two. Like it was like, here's the deal: we have decades of conflicting storylines. Uh, we don't know how new readers can get involved in our comics. We are starting over. Period. Like fifty two brand new ep- issues of fifty two characters. Like you're gonna dig it, kind of thing. You know. Yep. And this just seems like. Okay, well that didn't work. So we're gonna try uh, this now. I don't know. What do we... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like... I mean, it, it feels like it's just way too soon. And like, like I said, it, it totally makes those new Fifty Two comics absolutely worthless. Like, you know, and that's that's a shame. You know, I don't. I mean, I don't view it that way because I don't. I don't think it. They're still good stories, right? That's like, true. Like, yeah. Just because they're not going to be running for fifteen years doesn't mean they're not good. Like Animal, even if you read the first twelve Animal Man books, like you would read a really great series of writing. But I think. Brian Wood, maybe I don't remember who did it. I'm now misquoting, but but like it, just great writing, great artwork. You know, like you're you're not. It's it's like my same argument is like when somebody puts a a sequel out that's terrible, or you know, like whatever. Like it doesn't ruin the thing that you had previous to it. It just means that you don't get more of that thing anymore. You know, so yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it's confusing at best for me, and I'm I read comics pretty heavily and follow this stuff. It, I think this really is what you're seeing out of DC right now, unfortunately for them is probably corporate ownership going like, why are you not printing billions of dollars for us? Like Mm -hmm. Marvel, you know? Yep. And so they're just doing it. They're just probably just throwing whatever they can. I mean, they make a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. Their TV shows do very well. Their movies still do very well, even if some of them are not very good. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just, and then they have, they have this problem. I I really think all of this converges around this. This is really, this is my theory. You ready? Yep. The Avengers made a billion dollars. <laughs> right? Yes. End of story. Like pretty much. Like pretty you could basically put a period, but if you need a little bit more, DC has not figured out in 50 years how to do the Justice League successfully. Mm. Mm-hmm. Nope. At all. In in comic, in TV, in movie, like they cannot figure out how to put the five feasibly biggest comic book characters of all time together and make it work. And they're just they're just screwed. They just don't know what to do. And then, and I think their argument probably you know five years ago was, well, no one can do it. It's just too big. It's too ridiculous. Like there's no way to do this like, to wrangle this kind of budget and these things together. And then Marvel was like, here's the Avengers, and they're like, shit. Like they just made a billion dollars. What are we doing? You know. And <laughs> and that's that's the point. Like they can't. DC's got to scramble every year to figure out how to do that. They hmm. need to do that, and they can't. So. Yeah, I don't know. I think you're absolutely right. I don't know. We'll see, and uh, maybe we'll pick a couple of these up and review yeah. them when they come out. But um, Scott, let's talk about Grimm. 
Yeah, this you is excited. Just, this excited? is a quick news item. One of my favorite TV shows uh, that I like to watch, and now my wife watches too, so we watch together, which is really great. Is Grimm. Um, this week, NBC announced that it was renewing a lot of its procedurals for 2015-2016 um, season, and that includes, you know, all of their normal shows like Crime well, Solver and like Fireman and Police People and whatever those shows are. <laughs> And, um, but surprisingly, one of those is grim, which I'm really excited about. And why I think this is significant is one of the lines, um, out of one of the, um, reports of this show. And basically the article says that, um, you know, grim is in the Friday night death slot, but because of its audience, everybody watches it, you know, afterwards on Hulu or whatever you're, uh, they call it, you know, time shifted or whatever. So you don't yeah, watch it when it's on, you watch it. DVR or whatever else. So plus seven. Yeah. Plus seven. Right. So the article says that Grimm is one of the most time shifted shows on broadcast television um, with, you know, among 18 to 49 year olds um, with a lot of people watching it after it's on. And I think that's really important because I feel like some of these networks are sort of waking up to the fact that, you know, younger generations don't watch TV necessarily when you air the program on your network. And it kind of, blows my mind that a show like Grimm can thrive in an environment like this. And I feel like had this show maybe been on five years ago, it would already be canceled. Right. Oh yeah. Yep. yeah you know, sure. or, you know, longer cause it's already in its fourth season. But if this were 10 years ago, if this were, I don't know, if this were Firefly, this show would be canceled. Right. Yeah. If Firefly were on right now, you, they would probably see the same thing like time shifted views, like after the show airs, I just think that's significant. And it kind of gives me hope for the future of, you know, sci-fi and fantasy style shows on broadcast television, which I think is cool. Awesome. You guys want a tangent real quick? Sure. You want a quick tangent? Yeah. I know we have a long episode. I apologize. Uh, I, so we have this kid that works for me. He's 22 years old, right? Mm-hmm. And he's awesome. But he, he, my, one of my coworkers gave him a DVD yesterday. Okay. I was like, you should watch this. This is a good movie. And he was like, I don't have a DVD player. <laughs> and we were like, what? And he's like, I don't have a DVD player. We're like, like a Blu-ray? Or you don't have anything that you can put a disc in? He's like, no. Like and no was, Xbox or nothing? <laughs> nothing. Yeah, like nothing. And he was like, no, if I like something, I'll just torrent it. Yeah. Uh, which is which is like very common, I'm learning, through from that age group. Like mid-early 20s, late teens. Mm-hmm. Like if it's not for free on YouTube or for free on like Netflix... They'll just go get it on torrent like immediately. Like they don't, yeah. they won't even look to see if you can buy it digitally. Like it's not even worth looking because they're not going to. Right. So they'll just go torrent it immediately, and it concerns me. Although at the same time, I wonder if it's something you age out of as you like. I mean, he has a good job now, but as you get older and you know have a job and like you know can kind of four dollars. Yeah, four bucks like is not kill the you. Yeah. 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 I, I wonder if that's a thing, but it worries me because we've talked about this before, like the notion of cord cutting is great, you know, having your choices and whatnot, but who is taking the risk and funding shows then eventually? And how much is that funding really going to be? And can you still pull off the shows that we have now when that happens, you know? Right. And the answer is probably no. Sadly. No. Yeah. <laughs> like people have to buy things ultimately at some point. I mean, if, if hopefully, you know, that we maintain a trend where as people, you know, as that, is people that are in like high school and college get older and they transition sort of like, uh, you know, from one period in their lives into like more stable jobs and careers. Uh, you know, maybe they will then take the time to purchase things. I, I feel like, I feel like we've all sort of been in that boat too. 
you know, there was a time in my life where I made the decision, like, I want to make sure all the software on my computer is legitimate now. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like oh, I've yeah. been there, like I understand. Um, but hopefully, you know, like it, we, I guess the question is, is this a generational thing or is this just like an age? An age thing. Yeah. yeah. I, and I think due to access being relatively new, like this is, this kind of thing could not have happened previously. Yes. Like, we aren't going to know for, like, 10 to 20 years, like, what really is going to happen and how this plays out. But it's just really interesting. Because I have other friends that at work that are that are of our age that do the same thing. Like, they basically just torrent everything. They get mad that Hulu has ads. They're like, I'm paying for it. I don't want to watch ads. And I'm like, well, yeah, but, like, 30 seconds of ads. And they're like, yeah, it doesn't matter. I don't want to see them. Yeah. It's, like, it's funny okay. that people say that. And then we rally around, like, the Super Bowl because it has yeah, ads and we get yeah, excited yeah. about ads. Like, well, it's that, such a... That particular person does not, but that's, sure. that's you know, yeah, I agree. I, advertising is a weird thing that, that we don't need to get into. It just was an interesting thought because because of this, you know, success stories like Grimm where being on Hulu and the whole plus seven thing is working for it. Mm-hmm. When I hear an even younger generation go like, ah, yeah, I just torrent it if I, if I can't get it immediately for free somewhere else, you know, like that's the way I do it. Well, I, I guess I guess the real test of that, you know, maybe in 20 years or so will be like an entitlement question. So, like, right. maybe in 20 years from now, whatever, like, the equivalent of The Walking Dead now, um, you know, maybe some network will come out and go, like, hey, we know you all like this show, but none of you are buying it, so we're going to cancel it. And then if those people come out and go, oh, well, I still want to see it, you know, like, Twitter campaigns and all this stuff, and they go, like, sorry, no one's – you're not paying for it, so we're just going to cancel it. Sorry. Yeah. Right? We'll take your stuff away. Who cares? I also somewhat <laughs> worry, though, because this is the generation that grew up on, like, Annoying Orange on YouTube, and I wonder if there's a quality thing <laughs> – <laughs> there's like a level of tolerance that's changing as well and i'm like oh geez like is yeah. this what we're gonna watch for entertainment i don't know but we'll see we'll see um sorry that was a weird tangent i just that's okay that. another um quick news item is that um nintendo is discontinuing their sort of their loyalty program which they call club nintendo um in favor in favor of something different in the future so the way that oh, so they are going to spin something else up. They're not. I think canceled. they are. I don't think yeah. this is being totally canceled altogether. I think that something new will come Maybe along. Club Club Amiibo. Club Amiibo. Yeah, I really hope they start tying this to um, <laughs> Amiibos too, because that would just the the added complication of acquiring those through some other loyalty program would just be amazing to me. But um, the way Club Nintendo works now is that if you purchase um, brand new, obviously a a game, either digital or retail of a Wii U game or a 3DS game. Um, usually the physical product will come with like a, an insert inside with a code on it. And then you can enter that code in on the club Nintendo website. And for every product you register, you get coins. And then after seven days of registering that you get like a post play survey and you kind of fill out some information about that. You get some bonus coins. And the idea being is that you can use these coins for rewards on their website and for a while, the um, they offer they offer physical and digital rewards. So you know, typically it's just been like you know a downloadable game, an arcade title. Um, physical goods are like pencils and greeting cards, and you're just like, oh, well, that kind of sucks. And so every time they would put something of any quality up on the site, it would go immediately because everybody had coins to spend and nothing to spend them on. And so I think ultimately they're discontinuing the program because I don't think they were able to provide a level of quality for this site um, in terms of what you could use the coins for. And in terms of um, 
you know, throughout throughout a yearly cycle from July to July, if you acquired a certain number of coins in a in a year period, you either can you can get like an exclusive reward at the end of the year. So there's two levels, like a gold and a platinum level. So if you reach the platinum level, you get like an extra bonus, you know, item. And sometimes it could be it used to be cool items. So there was a a little uh, Mario Brothers like statue thing that you could put on your bookshelf that was really neat. And then one year it was like pins. And then it kind of just got progressively worse, right? It's like, oh, a soundtrack. It's like, cool, I could download that on the internet, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this like final blowout, they're basically saying that if you are a Club Nintendo member, any coins that you have now need to be redeemed before the end of June. And But in doing that, they actually put up a shit ton of stuff. So if you are in Club Nintendo and you have not heard this news, now is the time. They've actually got some kind of cool items up there like a Majora's mask messenger bag or a, um, a Zelda themed pouch for your, um, 3ds, which is cool. And then they put up like a shit ton of, I think there's over a hundred, um, games that you can redeem your coins for. And they span all the consoles from the Wii to the Wii U to the 3ds. And, um, some of those offerings do include like full quote unquote, full retail games like super Mario brothers two and Mario 3d land, stuff like that. So, um, you know, the coin count is significant for what is being offered, but if you don't use them now, you will lose them. And um, I'm actually happy to see this going away. I hope that whatever they decide to do afterwards is better because, as you can imagine, this is Nintendo. So what do people do with their Club Nintendo codes? They put them on eBay if they're not using them <laughs> and sell them to other people so that they can boost their coin counts um, in order to reach the gold status for the year. So crazy right that's that's nintendo for you hey we make 10 of everything and then everything else needs to be purchased on ebay so congratulations um (laughs) right i mean there's like a theme here i think yeah um so what is this netflix news uh i've kind of reached my nintendo saturation for this episode so the short version is nintendo's working with netflix to make a zelda live action series and they're um actually in the process of hiring writers now and the basic plot is link's quest to find zelda and that is my news item (laughs) (laughs) my question is why but we can answer that later (laughs) live action too that's yeah uh... there's there's no real intel on this yet other than what i just said so we yep. can speculate all we want, but yeah. that's all we know. Um, we will continue to report on this story as facts become available. <laughs> Indeed, we will. Right. <laughs> cool. Let's, well, let's go ahead. And come yes. Back. Yeah. Reviews. And let's talk about more Nintendo. Yeah. So, so the, we played uh, a game. No, let's yeah. talk at the same time. Everybody, Yay. one time. Life is strange. Yeah. We all Roof played it. We all played so it, again. and we we all found our inner 16-year-old girl. Should we all just um, – how do you want to do this? Should we just kind of like each give some quick impressions without managing so, to ruin the game for anyone else? Yeah, we should probably try not to spoil, right? Yeah. Um, okay, well, I guess I'll start. Go for it. So um, – Life is Strange is the new episodic game from um, a company called Don't Nod. And I instantly became a fan of this developer after the game Remember Me, which um, 
which I feel like was one of those games that was sort of misunderstood in what it was and had a story that I think was much better than what people gave it credit for. And what's interesting is that Remember Me is was like an action fighting game. I don't know, like a Bayonetta or something where you need to like remember combat moves and do stuff like that and, and learn learn combos and do a little platforming. And so their second game, Life is Strange, is an episodic interactive narrative adventure in the style of in the style of like a telltale game, which is yeah. really interesting, right? So this story follows um the Max. well yeah, Max, Max is the name of the character. I'm trying to like remember things without spoiling things, right? I mean, I think you can tell like the general location and the premise without really spoiling anything. So you know, you you play an eighteen year old girl in high school in Oregon, yep. and uh, you wake up from a nightmare, and then all of a sudden your life kind of changes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, because of the, it seems like the Pacific Northwest is a very popular setting for uh, TV shows and games now, which is really neat. And because of that, to me, this game almost reminds me more of like tonally reminds me of Alan Wake a little bit than it does like a telltale game, if that makes any sense. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, Which I think is really neat. Obviously you're not, um, (laughs) you're not like fighting the darkness and like shooting with your flashlight or anything, but like tonally it kind of feels the same way. If that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think the thing that I really wanted to say about this game that I, I thought was really interesting is the way that they integrate music into the cinematic sequences and even into the non cinematic sequences in the game, the one in particular was um, there's a point in the game where you go into the main character's bedroom and you can listen to a CD player and it plays a um, Jose Gonzalez song. And I, I joked to you guys, I was like, oh, man, look, anytime there's a Jose Gonzalez song in any game, you know, it's uh, it's going to be for serious and lots of feels. Right. <laughs> um, but I guess the thing that I I will sort of give away is that you can start the song playing on the stereo in the bedroom and then you can walk over there's a guitar on the other side of the room you can pick up the guitar while the music is playing and she'll play along with with the um with the stereo which seems like a weird thing but i i feel like it's sort of a very touching moment the way that they um the way that they animate those sequences like if you're just standing and you're listening to music or you're looking at something or you're playing the guitar, it doesn't just like the camera just doesn't focus on her playing the guitar. It actually sort of like goes through like different cuts of things in the room. So it feels like you're watching a movie, which I think is really neat. Yeah. And to me that sort of embodies like what is so good about this game, like for me in terms of the, the cinematic quality and, and the way that everything sort of comes together. Yeah, I mean, the thing that stood out to me, um, I, I love the music as well, but one of the things that I, I really was a fan of was just the level of detail, um, much more so than a, a Telltale game. And I love the Telltale games, but um, all the rooms that you explore and areas that you explore in this game, uh, majority of it takes place in, in, a, in a high school. Uh, but the level of detail is, is pretty staggering. Like, there's pictures all over the wall, there's things that you can interact with and th- some things that you can pick up. And it, everything looks incredibly lived in um, and a- yeah. actually like real like, – like a place that would exist in reality. So rather – you know, in a Telltale game, sometimes you'll go into – let's say you're, you're playing Walking Dead. You'll go into a room and there will be like you know, a, a table and some chairs and some, some dirty shit laying around and that will pretty much be it. Mm-hmm. Um, this will be you know, 
all sorts of artifacts from the, the individuals that would actually inhabit those places and those spaces. So um, I thought that, you know, they did a great job with that. Um, I also really enjoyed, um, like Scott was talking about, the aesthetic of it. Um, you know, I am a, a fan of that Pacific Northwest, and I did I feel like they really captured that strange kind of eerie vibe that that place has, mm-hmm. at least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really did enjoy um, also – uh, I feel like they did a good job of actually capturing sort of the the strange universe of high school. Um, yeah, and, th- right? and this comes from someone who just spent, as an adult, spent the past like six years of his life in a high school, like looking back at high school, being like, "Holy cow, mm-hmm. this place is fucking weird." Like all the different social groups are weird. Everything about this is weird now as an adult, and I feel like this game did a good job. And it's funny because some reviewers are like, oh, it's written by people who obviously don't know anything about high schoolers. But then you're like, well, you're an adult writing for a video game website. What the fuck do you know about high schoolers? Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, so, exactly. So anyway. I actually thought that the the way that the dialogue was written for people that were in sort of different cliques, I thought was very – felt very realistic to me. Yeah, I mean I don't – Absolutely. So, you know, there are definitely people in this game of different races and um, different body types, uh, you know, and and the thing that was interesting about it to me was they they weren't automatically painted in a negative light. Like Jot Guy wasn't automatically an asshole. There Mm -hmm. were, you know, even like the mean girl, the the super bitch of the plot, she she has a moment where you're like, wow, well, maybe there is more to her. So I I think um, I do feel like the writing was actually pretty good in this game. So. Mm -hmm. Matt, what'd you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I echo what you guys said for the most part, but um, I didn't have any problems with the writing. I, I didn't. I also don't read reviews very often, so I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't see some of the negative stuff. But um, I thought it was a really. I thought the most amazing thing to me about the game is that it, a lot of these decision tree games tend to weigh too heavily on you making decisions. Yeah, and this game had a bunch of stuff you could do and decide to do or not do and didn't even really matter. It was like, it was just kind of like part of your life and story at that point. And then there were, there were pitch moments that, you know, definitely influenced what happened later kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how some of that stuff plays out. But I just thought, you know, like you guys said about things being in the room versus like in a telltale game where the room might not feel as lived in to me, the whole scenario the whole situation felt very lived in felt very like normal and like for all the weirdness and quirkiness that happens in the game it's grounded in a very like life moment type thing you know like it it just felt very real it felt very honest i guess uh, as a portrayal to me so i thought it was great i really enjoyed it melissa watched me play some of it and then actually picked up and played the game which is I know this doesn't mean anything to anybody else in, in that listens to us, but Melissa does not game, like, period. Mm-hmm. Like, she plays phone games, and that's about it. Watching me play this, she was like, I really want to play this. And then she played, Yeah, uh, something. there is something about this game. Like, there's something very special about this game that I thought was really awesome and really enjoyable. Yeah, So I think that, you know, a lot of the buzz about this game is that, you know, people will draw comparisons of this game to um, My So-Called Life, the, the TV show that was on MTV many years ago even though it's this game is set in you know in a modern setting it's that's like there is sort of that drama interpersonal drama you know that is similar to to what you saw on that tv show um and i think it's really interesting that all three of us have talked about this game without actually talking about sort of what the major 
twist slash right. like major game mechanic that overlays the entire game, right? Right. Is that this um, this main character Max? You know, this is not spoiler because this is sort of in the um, yeah, it's in all like five, it's like ten minutes in, yeah, yeah, in the in the all the press and everything. But she's she's going through some some issues with like time manipulation, right? And she um, ultimately gains the ability to rewind time, and I think that is really fascinating in the context of a narrative adventure game because you can actually explore different choices. So without penalty, yeah, without penalty. So you can go like. You know, if this were um, a different game, it'd be like, oh, who do you want to save, character A or character B? And then you pick A, and then that's it, right? It's a permanent choice. Right. But in this game, you can go like, hey, are you going to steal this thing? And then you can steal it, and the game will go like, okay, that's, you know, it alerts you like, hey, this is a critical choice in like a yeah. very like casual sort of way. And then you can rewind it and go, mm, no, let me do something else. And then you can right. see what that looks like too, and then decide which reality you want to live in, which I, actually, I think is really interesting. I actually found that to make the, cha- the decisions more challenging at times because yes, you, would see, you would see how things would play out in different ways and you'd be like, because you would do it one way and you're like, yeah, that's probably what I'm going to choose. And then you do another way and you're like, oh, uh, maybe this is what I'd want to choose. And then you do another and you're like, holy shit, I didn't even expect that. To, like so many different, there, there's one critical choice that I think we all know about that I think has something like six different ways that it can play out or five different ways that mm-hmm. it can play out. And each one of them was like emotionally impactful and a difficult decision to decide like w- how you were going to play it or how that character was going to react and deal with that situation. So Yeah. Oh, it it's just good. so good. I can't wait. I'm really, yeah, it's great. I'm stoked for this studio. Like I'm really happy that, that, um, that this seems to be a success for them. Um, yeah. And I feel yeah, like people the... seem to like it. And, you know, the criticisms I've read, they've been relatively minor other than a couple people like, you know, kind of complaining that it's not a realistic portrayal of someone who's 18 years old when mm-hmm. in reality, I think it's pretty close. I feel like it's very reasonable. I mean, because these are these are people dealing with sort of real life issues. And I, um, you know, like I think my so-called life is on target. I even feel like there's a little bit of Garden State in here, like this whole idea sure. about going home again. And, um, you know, seeing what things are like when you go home after being away for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. I don't understand what part of it is not. We can get into it later, but yeah, I, we can that's, that's, it. it's a confusing statement to me because it's like to me, there are many different versions of an 18 year old in this. Yeah. In, in this telling. Right. So, like, are they just do they not feel like they connected? I think it, one of them? I, I read many things that were saying, oh, it's the game where you play as a mopey hipster. So, <laughs> oh, so okay. Like, okay. if you don't which, identify with which... the main character, maybe you end up identifying with one of the other characters. Like, yeah, yeah. maybe you were the one of those other people in high school. Like, yeah. And, and the thing I do have to to defend the character of Max. Um, she's different from very like from most protagonists in games. I mean, she is very much she's sort of an introverted, artistic, eighteen year old female who I feel is relatively realistic yeah. so Absolutely. i mean yeah. i think the problem is with people that say that don't really uh, haven't really met too many introverted 18 year old artistic females so yeah. so that's episode one of life is strange and should we also uh, oh. voiced by former guests one of our not max but um chloe her, is yeah yeah friend chloe is voiced by uh, ashley birch yeah, yeah. former so, friend former guest current friend current friend of the podcast current. yes that's super so cool. yeah she does a great job in that too so maybe yeah. we'll drag her kicking and screaming back on the show one of these absolutely days. so super yeah cool. life is strange i really feel like they managed to create a 
narrative adventure game that stands like not in the shadow of a Telltale game, but sort of side by side. Absolutely, yeah, with that's Telltale. a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. which I, I think also is want to say really it kind important. of create it created a great nerd appropriate moment, which is I woke up early Saturday morning feeling sick to messages from you guys saying you were playing it, and I was like, oh yeah, that game came out today. Mm-hmm. That's the one with Ashley Birch in it. I was like, yeah, I'll pick it up and play it. And then we all had like our, we talked about it like online after that for a little bit too. Yeah. I yeah. thought it was a really kind of, it's that kind of game that we all played solo, but it ended up being sort of co-op in a way by, by us just playing it and being like, holy crap, this was interesting. This is a, a mm. new, new take on this, uh, you know, telltale style game. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and I, I feel specifically that our, our specific audience, a lot of our audience would really enjoy a game like this. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Let's move on to something uh, brighter and happier, Darkest Dungeon. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I've been talking about this game for forever, and it's finally out. Everyone should definitely pick it up. It's available right now on Steam. It's uh, about 20 bucks right now, totally worth it. Um, Darkest Dungeon is a a dungeon crawler, but it's a 2D dungeon crawler that focuses on not only – your character's health, but also your character's sanity. So as you delve deeper into these dungeons, your characters can develop different personality quirks, can actually make them react differently um, to the different enemies and different environments that they face. So you could, you could get a guy who slowly becomes claustrophobic or alcoholic or um, a necrophiliac or whatever. Oh um, my god, that's yeah, crazy. It, it gets pretty intense. And so you're constantly managing, um, you pick up a, a bunch of different character types along the way, along your journey. And you are constantly trying to make sure that they stay sane. So um, one thing that I didn't really talk about in our earlier looks at this game because it wasn't available at PAX is um, you actually do manage a whole town. So the whole premise of the game is you return to your your uncle's, um, I guess, estate after it has been taken over by the forces of darkness. And your goal is to rebuild this estate and kind of reestablish it to its its former glorious place, you know? Mm-hmm. So you have to delve into these dungeons and kind of bring back all these artifacts that have been stolen and kind of pillaged by, by evil people. And along the way, <clears throat> you hire a bunch of mercenaries that, that go along with you and can level up and so on and so forth. But like I said earlier, you have to make sure that they stay sane along the way. Now, the thing that's kind of crazy about this is death is uh, permanent, so it is a permadeath game. Um, the dungeons are randomly generated, so you can you know, go into a place called like the Wield one time, and if you go back to the Wield, it'll be different the second time. So mm. that's um, it can be incredibly brutally hard. So for instance, uh, I'll tell just a quick like two-minute story of my time with the game, okay. my first couple hours of the game. Um, <clears throat> started off fine. I actually made it um, – you kind of make it day by day in this game. And I made it about 10 days without losing a single character, right? And that's – to me, I was like, holy cow, it's crazy. That meant that means I had done 10 different dungeons in a row without mm-hmm. anyone dying. And I was like, I'm kicking this game's ass. Um, on the 11th dungeon, I got party wiped in the first room of a dungeon. Oh, my god. Just by my – because what had happened is I wasn't paying attention to my character's sanity levels as, as much as I should have. And so they they're, they slowly – got to the point where they were insane. They all started doing crazy shit, um, you know, getting out of order in their, their fight, you know, fight lines and so on and so forth. And they just, you know, totally unraveled. Right. Um, it got to the point where I ended up having to spend all this money to try and cure all their sanities. And, and I ended up 
basically just losing the game on day 12 after being, you know, absolutely flawless. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, so then I started a new game last night, pretty late, and I didn't even make it through the t- tutorial without dying. <laughs> like, I literally, I got to, like, the second group of enemies, and they totally wiped me, and I was like, holy shit. And it, the game is very, very Dungeons and Dragons in that it's super tactical. It is. It's very, very tactical. Your your party position really matters. Who you who you bring in your party really matters. Um, visually, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, I mean, there's so much to talk about with this game. I don't even really know where to begin. Just honestly, pick it up. It's it's incredibly unique, incredibly fun, very, very challenging. And the artwork um, is amazing. It's like comic book style art book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks a lot like um, Mike Mignola art, so Hellboy art. Um, but it's, you know, it's a phenomenal gaming experience. It's, uh, you know, a little a little indie studio called Red Hook made it. It just came out. Um, can't recommend it enough. Do you guys have any specific questions about it? I don't. I mean, I just remember when we when we played it on the show floor and you got into a battle that basically came down to the last hit point with you fighting against a boss and us trying to manage like potions and abilities and just anything that we could to keep our team alive. And I seem to remember that coming down to just a one-on-one battle, um, you know, in order to win it. And I think we, I think we ultimately did win that battle, but it was, it was tough as nails. Yeah. And that's the thing about this. It's like that every single time. So you'll go into a dungeon and what you bring with you is very, very important. So you, you gear out like an equipment list, you bring torches and food and bandages. And if you run out in, in you're fucked, like you have to either, you know, fight your way out or, or flee from the dungeon, which gives you a ton of damage and a ton of like psychological damage. So you don't want to do that, but it is a very like kind of tooth and nail sort of game. Like you're yeah, everything constantly seems incredibly meaningful in that game. It is. You're constantly struggling just to kind of get by. And sometimes a dungeon run will go well. And sometimes it'll be, you know, you'll be three rooms in and already be, you know, ready to get the fuck out of there. So it's uh, it's tough, but it is very, very tactical. And um, you start to learn, you know, what each class does very, very well and what each class um, doesn't do well. And it, you, you kind of get better at it as you uh, as you progress. So cool. super fun. Awesome. So after Darkest Dungeon, let's move on to something happier, Dying Light. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a theme here. It's like There very... is. Life is strange in the Darkest Dungeon, but wait for the Dying Light. Yeah. So, okay. Um, we got an opportunity to review the game Dying Light. Um, which is a open world um, survival horror game that it's sort of its major differentiator from other open world style games is that this, your main character takes a first person perspective and they can do their, like their mobility is like parkour style mobility, right? So you can easily jump over fences and sort of climb buildings and uh, makes for a really interesting playground scenario when you're, when your entire universe is, um, you know, crawling with zombies and infected creatures all over the place. So that's cool. Yeah. And this game appears to be like, it looks like it's been reviewed sort of very strangely, like favorably, unfavorably. People seem to be very polarized about whether or not this game is good. And I don't know. I feel like with many games, you you know, there's a tendency to want to compare to compare the game against, you know, other similar games. And so I've never, I never played, um, 
what was that dead island i never played that so i never did either i think a lot of people look at this game and they go oh it's like an open world game with a crafting system and you know survival horror so dying light or whatever but i didn't really play dying light i didn't play a lot of of what's the uh, capcom game uh, dead rising yeah dead rising didn't play a lot of that either but um you know i think the the free running mechanic you know that also then draws a lot of comparisons to a game like mirror's edge and you know this is not mirror's edge because Mirror's Edge is more like a Tony Hawk game where you can really do a lot with the free running. And so I would encourage people, if they look at this game, to sort of try to look at it as it stands on its own. Because I think there's really something interesting here in this game. And so the basic plot of the story is that you play the character of of Kyle Crane. Um, He is sent to this um, city called Hanan, which I think is a uh, fictional city that's... um, like based in Turkey somewhere. Okay. Um, yeah. So even like the setting is different, you know, and everybody is, um, you know, different cultures and different accents, different types of people in this world. So it's kind of like a, I feel like an under, under explored setting for a game, which makes it fascinating. And so you parachute onto this, um, into this area that is, uh, essentially a quarantine zone. There's an infection. Um, you, you find out very quickly that your character is a undercover operative, right? So he is sort of masquerading as somebody who is just like sort of been in the city, but he also, he seems to be actually working for this conglomerate in order to recover um, a potential cure for this infection that's turning everybody into zombies. And so the way the story goes is that the, the current state of the formula for this um, infection is not finished and if they were to actually produce the current formula it would make everything like much worse so he is trying to work within all of these different factions that are surviving in this quarantine zone um, while maintaining his own like secret objectives so that's sort of the over overarching plot of the story cool that actually um, sounds pretty neat yeah and you know like so it is an open world game so a lot of the you know a lot of the tropes of open world games are there right so a lot of the missions are you know you pick up the quest like go to this place pick up this thing bring it back or you know side quests that are like hey see if you can run from this building to that building in in two minutes and beat my time like there is stuff like that it is an open world game um what i will say is that they seem to tone down a lot the importance of like pointless collecting, you know? So that's good. I've not gotten to a point in the game where I've been exposed to just a map full of collectibles. The game tries, I think to maintain its like maintain its experience. Right. So I think the game does not try to take you out of the experience by showing you a map with all the collectibles on it. Like there are things to collect in the environment, but I have, I don't really know like where that's being tracked or how do I, you know, see that stuff, which is bizarre. So that's, that's the, the main part of the gameplay mechanic is free running. Also, there is a crafting system. So in order to survive in this world, you really need to break into buildings and, you know, you, you, cause everything's abandoned, right? So the places that are not like at the strongholds are completely abandoned. So you're, you're basically breaking into buildings and you're flipping over things and opening up chests and just trying to find components. So you'll find like alcohol and you know bandages and then you can turn that into a med kit and the crafting system 
while it is not super intuitive, it is very easy, you know, so you just oh, need, cool. like, you just take a couple of pieces. You can craft, like, anywhere that you want to, so it's not like, you know, you, you can hide inside. You bench or anything weird like that? Yeah, there's not a workbench, so if you have the items um, and you want to craft a new weapon for yourself, you can just do it right on the spot, which I really appreciate. They also did something really nice with the inventory. The um, crafting components, I think, has, like, an unlimited inventory, and the only thing that counts against your... Um, carrying capacity is the actual like items that you are carrying so uh, your weapons your like throwable items like a shield stuff like that which is really cool so the combat looks really fun like i've seen seen some clips of it and it looks like it's actually pretty awesome yeah they have um you know the other the other part of the game is that there is a um three-way upgrade system so this kind of reminds me of the upgrade system that they had in the new tomb raider game so there are three skill trees in the way that you upgrade each of those skill trees is doing things that are specific to that skill tree, right? So there's sort of a generic skill tree called survival. There's one that's called um, agility. And then there's one for fighting, right? So the more you fight, the more points you get in the fighting tree, the more that you free run, the more points you get in the agility tree. And that's sort of what unlocks all the other abilities um, in the game, similar to the, you know, the way that you would do in tomb Raider. And I think that's kind of smart. And, you know, the only thing, the only thing the only thing that's sort of a minor drawback to that is that you start out sort of underpowered like you do in a lot of games. Mm. And then once you get through the first like once you get up to about level eight to ten, you start unlocking some extra abilities that you're like, man, I wish I would have had these like in the first, you know, hour of the game. Yeah, because, I really hate that. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, like I feel like I haven't played too long. And um early on you get this ability which is just basically an upgraded free running ability. So the animations to jump over a fence or to climb a building are much faster and you feel it feels more natural than what you start with. And so once you get past like the early upgrade portion of the game, you're really kind of off to the races and it's a really fun experience. The one other thing I need to say about this game is that uh, core to the gameplay is a active day night cycle. And so the way it basically works is that during the day, the zombies are like slow and stupid, like your traditional shambling zombies, right? And then as soon as night falls, it's sort of like all hell breaks loose and these really um, these really tough zombies come out. I can't remember their names, but they can basically do free running too and they can chase you and they'll they'll free fight running you. zombies. What? Yeah, I don't know if they're exactly free running, but you it's know, more you... of a dawn of the or dawn of the dead right style or, or 20, 28 days later. Yeah, it's kind of like zombie. your the zombies turn into 28 days later zombies and they become uh, okay. much more aggressive. Trying to survive the night in dying light is actually a lot of fun. Because, you know, you've got your flashlight, you've got, like, some Molotov cocktails, and... Uh, and there is a home base, right, that you can get to? Yeah, you can you can unlock bases that are sort of spread out all over the map. You do have a major, like, a major stronghold called the Tower that you can go into that has all of your vendors and stuff like that. But really, you, the game rewards you for surviving the night. So all of your XP is doubled when you, when you do things at night. So you're free running, you're fighting... Um, the longer you survive at night, it, it upgrades like your main skill tree, their survival skill tree. Um, you know, when I first started the game, I was like terrified, right? I was like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, the, you know, people communicate, you communicate with you over the intercom. And they're like, just so you know, you have an hour, so you better get back to a stronghold or you're going to be fucked. You know, like, it's just really neat. And I think that, um, the last thing I'll say is that adding the first person perspective to an open world game, I think adds more gravity to the interactions with the characters, you know, because you, you know, we've all played, um, an open world game from a third person perspective. And when you go to talk to somebody, like, 
you see like sort of generic animations. You don't really see their lips moving and there's sort of like the voice is disembodied from the avatar, you know, from the character yeah, you're yeah. talking to. I feel like they do a better job of making the quests feel more realistic. When you interact with somebody, the camera zooms in on them. There's dialogue. The character's animated. It's not like the same character model that you saw, you know, in the other safe house, that kind of thing. You know, for a game like this, it's I think it's very solid. I really do think it's worth checking out. Apparently, there is a cooperative component to this game. Yeah. We can bring someone into your game and you guys can play together, which I think would be really like a shit ton of fun. And I think some of the people um, at P2R are doing that. And it's it's really yeah. awesome. I can um, see that being really great, too. I played at PAX just a little bit and it, yeah. was, it was a blast. But Yeah. And it I mean, it is really fun because I unlike the way I approach Assassin's Creed where I'm like, I need to 100 percent this game. I'm approaching this game from the perspective of this is a playground. I'm just going to have fun, right? So well, it's kind of set up against you 100%ing, isn't it? Like, I yeah. mean, everything, everything's timed in a weird way, and like, you, you can miss out on doing stuff just by like not getting to the place quick enough. And... Sure. And I mean, I, I, but I don't feel that way. I don't feel the pressure to like right. 100% the game. I feel like I'm going to play the story that I want to play in this game. And then when it's done, it's done. But I'm really just having fun, right. like, you know, strapping, you know, electricity onto a knife and then electrocuting a zombie. Like, that's very satisfying <laughs> to me. It's really yeah. fun. Yeah. And then you get all the free running moves, like drop kicks and sliding underneath people and climbing buildings and doing all that stuff. So so that's Dying Light. It's from a Polish developer called Techland. It's published by Warner Brothers Interactive. Good co-op, pretty solid game. Um, I'm into it. So the last thing I wanted to quickly mention was a comic that I saw from Dark Horse Digital called Lady Killer. Did you guys get a chance to read this? I did. Um, I did not, unfortunately. Yeah, so it's sort of a... It's got like this mid-century modern vibe, but the uh, main character, uh, Josie, is like, you know, at home, she's like a homemaker, wife, you know, doing dishes, but she's actually like an assassin, right? So she'll go, uh, you know, she'll run out and kill people. So imagine if like Agent, Agent Carter was, you know, more of like a crazy trained assassin. There was blood and gore and all that stuff that kind of like it's kind of in that vein for me it's, so it's a dark comedy mm-hmm. um you know with some violence and stuff like that matt what did you think of it uh i thought it was great uh yeah. the artwork's fantastic um the the artist and story creator is a girl named joelle jones mm-hmm. and i don't know what else she's really done i had never really heard of her previous to this but but the the artwork's wonderful the story was really fun um it kind of kicks off in the middle of this woman being an assassin. So it's, it's not like there was like a ton of buildup or anything like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It did remind me of, I think a Mark Millar book that I talked about a while ago with a woman assassin who had quit the game. Yeah. I think that like, that's really what makes the dark comedy is that she leads this dual life and she, you know, obviously she hides, you know, hides her alternate life from her family, which is, which I think is probably going to be like part of the arc going forward, you know? Yeah, the second issue just came out this week. I haven't picked up that one yet, but I really did enjoy the first one. Uh, uh, on Dark Horse, right, did you say? Yeah, it's on Dark Horse, and um, you know we get a lot of press emails. And one specifically like reminded me to actually talk about this book because um, apparently this this has turned out to be very popular, even to the point where they're creating you know, second runs of the comic with like alternate covers and stuff like that. So yeah. Awesome. Um, I don't read a ton of comics, but I found this one, and I, I'm really into it. So um, looking forward to more. That's Lady Killer. Um, from Joelle Jones, published by Dark Horse. Yeah, support your creator-owned man. The way to do yeah, it. it's on. You know, it's on digital too. So yeah. no, no reason not to get it. Super easy. We haven't talked about Audible in a while, so I thought this would be a good time. 
we have a thing with Audible as well. So you can go to audibletrial.com slash rated NA and get a free audiobook if you if you sign up with them. Um, right now, I'm checking out a book called Love in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is really interesting. Um, Love in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction is a book written by Judd Trichter. Uh, is narrated by Luke Daniels. Luke Daniels is um, a reader who is like a professional, like almost like a professional uh, narrator. So the book is awesome. It was um, recorded by Audible, you know, so the Audible has like Audible Studios where they will, you know, seek out and create audiobook content for, you know, for the books that they, they select. So um, the recording is of a very high quality, which is awesome. So the basic, this is right up my alley, this book. I'm so stoked for this. So um, the book follows the story of, um, Elliot Lazar. Um, we are in sort of late 21st century Los Angeles, and we are at the point now where we have androids that look like us. Um, but it's like sort of a very bleak and dark future, right? So, uh, there's a lot of sort of like racism between androids and human beings and the way that they're treated, you know, different types of people treat them differently. Um, and they are essentially, slaves in the sense that you know they are created to work if they don't have a work permit or they're not the property of someone else they're basically fair game to be hunted and and um like disassembled for parts so it's like this very bleak future like the main character you know he has like a drug addiction you know this the setting like there's riots and fires and the sky is is black you know from all this industrial stuff that's happening in the area so um it's sort of a very like dark future but this character Elliot Lazar falls in love with um, an android, which is very like taboo in this setting. So it's not acceptable in, in sort of in this, in the vein of this dark future, like it, it seems to be um, quote unquote acceptable f- to use these androids for, um, you know, like escort purposes, even though like, so the cops kind of like turned a blind eye to that, but in like the larger society, like actually being in love with having a relationship with an android is, is frowned upon and, and frowned upon on both sides. You know, there are people on both sides, like human purists and Android purists, you know? So it's kind of like this weird, um, powder keg. So this guy decides that he wants to escape LA, um, and, you know, go out into an Island in the Pacific. And then he basically finds out when they are ready to, um, flee that his Android has been, uh, kidnapped and chopped up, uh, and sold for parts. So he decides like in his like crazy, in his crazy, like drug and fueled rage that he is going to track down every single part and put her back together so that he can have his love. And that's sort of what sets our quote unquote protagonist off on his quest. So it's a very, like, it's very dark future, very weird kind of like cool explores issues between humans and androids and robots. And it does seem like it's right up your alley. Yeah. Weird, like dystopian future with like, uh, dark issues between the two quote unquote races of humans and androids. So it's a very, very interesting read, but the audiobook is, is really awesome so far. I think I've made it through the first, um, first, uh, major part of the book where they set up all this action that I just described. So, um, that is love in the age of mechanical reproduction. And that is my audible pick this week. And, um, like I said, you can go to audibletrial.com slash rated NA to, uh, get a free credit for this book or any other book. I think maybe what might be next on my list is Amy Poehler's Yes, Please. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, why don't we take one more break and we'll move on to our Naquato, which is Reboot Fever is sweeping the comics and film industry. What property would you love to see rebooted and are reboots ever worth it? 
Hi, this is Courtney Taylor. You're listening to the Braided NA podcast at nerdappropriate.com. Ta-da! All right, we're back with our Nerd Appropriate question of the week. And this week we were asking about Reboot Fever. And are reboots any good? And uh, what would you actually like to see rebooted? And our first one is from Bunny Hanlon, who's at Wing and Lioness. Hi. Uh, says Gummy Bears. Oh, my God. <laughs> and now the theme song is in my head. Reboots aren't always horrible. See Doctor Who, Ninth and Tenth Doctors. Do you guys remember the Gummy Bears theme song? Uh, uh, yes. Hold on. Bouncing here and there and everywhere. Dashing and daring, courageous and caring. All through the forest, they sing out with care. Gummy bears bouncing here and there and everywhere. There we go. That's the there team. you go. You got it. <laughs> they are the gummy bears. <laughs> I think you added some like early '80s rock <laughs> emphasis to that yeah, some theme song. Um, our pal Robert Freeman, Mr. Slick says some reboots are worth it. The Dark Knight trilogy. How about a reboot? Um, how about a reboot of Reboot? <laughs> Old CG animated series. Loved it as a kid. I think the Dark Knight trilogy is like the golden rule of reboots, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's like, hey, it worked that one time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Jacqueline Cahill uh, at Cahill JA says Roadhouse. Already Roadhouse. Point break, go full on crazy for Swayze. All right. Crazy for Swayze's. That's amazing. Justin Banks at Midtown583 says, The Goonies, if done properly with great story and actors, why not continue reboots? It could be like a Goonies with their kids, you know? Like yeah. the second generation. I think that was actually what it was rumored to be. Oh, really? But, but um, who knows if we'll ever get that. Uh, Tasman at Tasman says, I wonder what the love boat would be like in today's world sometimes. <laughs> she and i actually went back and forth on this idea i was yeah. at lunch and i was like tweeting at her and i was like yeah you can have like somali pirates and norovirus and then she's like what if the internet on the, the love boat went out and all the kids just started throwing themselves over the edge <laughs> so true oh my god uh amanda at fluid fire says quantum leap i love that show and thinking about what topics could tackle now um what do you think it could be Quantum Leap would be awesome, a modern Quantum Leap. Yeah, I, I feel think, like that show with like modern technology could be really great. Yeah, I think 10 years ago's Quantum Leap reboot was Sliders. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah you remember Sliders? I do. Sliders. That was a good show. I like that. It's making me hungry, dude. You like you want like burger sliders? I now? want sliders. So oh, okay, bad. well, we better finish because it's, it's about eating time, right? Yeah. Uh, Bluster Kerfuffle at Paper by the Ton says reboot the polka dot door also bring it to america that show was my jam as a toddler i don't even know what that is i'll be honest i have no idea what polka dot door is well i'm assuming it was not in america which is probably why we've not heard of it uh it's probably like a, a bulgarian dance show <laughs> yeah you think so maybe i'm sure she'll co- correct you if you're wrong <laughs> she will yeah. <laughs> uh jesse lamb axel 99 says reboots will always have a place with a new generation like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I'd kind of love to see Silverhawks or Cops get remade. Do you guys remember those? Not really. Oh my god, dude. Silverhawks Silver was fucking great. Uh, Silverhawks was like the space Thundercats, essentially. Yeah. Oh, cool. And Cops was, I want to say, mid-90s um, super high-tech cop cartoon where they had like um, like laser guns and like robotic dogs and... Um, they fought against like really super hyper stylized enemies, like you know, kind of um, 
robotic gangsters and stuff like that. Cops was really cool. That sounds Did you guys amazing. hear they, they greenlit a third G.I. Joe movie and supposedly Mask is going to somehow be involved? Oh, boy. Wow. <laughs> I don't even understand that, really, but that's kind of amazing in my brain. Wow. That's a hell of a crossover there. Yeah. Um, finally, we have uh, Ritzy Fox or Ritzy at Ritzy Fox says reboot reboot because I love that show. Do you guys remember one. reboot? I don't. It's the, I, uh, I green, remember it. The I green CG animated cartoon. They were like green characters, oh, with, like, and okay. it was like it was like super like nineties three D CG. Like yeah, I see it now. Yeah, and they were like in the computer. They were like in a computer, I think, hacking it. Sort of like they were computer characters. It was really weird, but I remember it vaguely huh. from. Do the you, 90s. Do you guys have answers to this question to our question of the week? Oh, um, I no. I I think reboots can work. I just wish I wish that we also had more original stuff, but I get why reboots happen. Yeah, yeah. To answer part one of the question, I part just want to see. I want to see the Star Control franchise brought back to life. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's it. So I would say I would like to see um, a reboot of Roundhouse, which was that show on SNCC that apparently only I watched and I really liked. And um, maybe also uh, Nick Arcade. You remember Nick Arcade? Oh, yeah. I, I feel like that could be amazing today. Instead of just doing like the green screen uh, challenge at the end of the show they could really do something crazy at the end and it could be really fun how about legend of the hidden temple with real traps <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i mean like d bradley baker could still be olmec right yeah he could yeah, yeah. the That's shrine cool. of the silver monkey <laughs> all right uh, i think we're done guys yeah we made it thank you for tuning into a giant sized Rated NA episode 189. Uh, you can always follow us on Twitter, and that's at NerdAppropriate. You can email us directly, and that's Scott, Matt, and Ash at NerdAppropriate.com. Or go to our Facebook page, and that is slash NerdAppropriate on Facebook. And um, we have lots of fun stuff coming up. So please hang in there. And coming up on episode 200, oh the my gosh, Romundo. That'll be awesome. Have a good week. Later, guys. See ya. See ya. Okay, let's do the rundown. No, no, let's not. Let's talk about Loot Crate. Oh, damn it. I can't even read our own show notes.